You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you guys haven't had the opportunity to check out the Navigator Series, it's a brand new lineup from Lacrosse. They have the Windrose for men and women. They also have the Atlas, and that's what I wore during my rut vacation this fall. Check them out. They're very comfortable. Uh, It's a traditional rubber boot kind of mixed with a traditional hunting hiking boot they've mashed it together and the outcome is the navigator series check it out at lacrossefootwear.com welcome to the huntivore podcast where we celebrate our hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos, no status, just catch it, cut it, and cook it. This is episode 40, Girl Carnivore, Keita Roberts. Nick chats with real blogger and meat maven, Keita Roberts. Keita has been blogging since 2010 and has a library of recipes at her website, Girl Carnivore. Nick and Keita touch on a wide range of topics, from women on the grilling scene to grilling all winter long, a few mishaps that each of them had, and a dive into how lamb and venison are similar, yet their own protein. This chat with Keita was exactly what the doctor ordered, an invitation to bring some char back in our lives. So light your coals, sit back, and enjoy. Well, hey, folks. Good evening. I got another stellar guest for us tonight. Uh, she's been a grill blogger since about 2010, and she'll have to correct me on that date if I need to. She can apply eyeshadow with one hand and stake out an eye round in the other. She can know the difference between rare and medium rare in a single touch. We have the meat maven herself, the carnivore girl, Keita Roberts. Keita, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast this evening. That was almost as cool as like a Stig introduction from way back when BBC Top Gear was really good. <laughs> well, good. I'm working as a I'm working as a uh, underground uh, hype man. That's my new uh, newfound glory there. So yeah, I like I to mean, I like to jazz it up. <laughs> rock out! Well, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here today. Excellent. So as the meat maven, um, are you a blogger 24-7 or do you uh, have a 9-to-5 job that you're going to every day? 
Yes. So to um, to to correct you, but not at all. I have I launched Girl Carnivore in 2013. However, my original website did launch in late 2009, 2010, and I was doing some grilling on that site as well. Um, but in 2013, I launched Girl Carnivore, and it is this day my full time job. So I get to freelance photography, write, and eat cheeseburgers all of the time, nine to five. <laughs> That sounds incredible. Um, as a as your culinary training for when you were getting ready for this blog, are you self taught or is this uh, something that you you went to school for and are now applying and sharing with folks who didn't go to school? Oh goodness, I wish I went to school for that, but no, I um, am one hundred percent self taught. So my original blog back when I started before blogs were a business plan, before influencers were a word, and Instagram wasn't even an idea yet, um, was simply because I had no culinary background whatsoever. My family wasn't a cooking kind of family. They were kind of, you know, green giant and, and Pillsbury biscuits and there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, there's not a lot to it. It's like shake and bake. Sometimes I helped. And, um, and so growing up, I didn't have a lot of different things to try. And I think I was 16 years old before I even tried macaroni and cheese for the first time, which, by the way, never let anybody wait until they're 16 year old for that because <laughs> it's totally life changing. Uh, at least at, at you know 16, it was like an absolute epiphany. But when I was 16 and 17, I was living with a really good friend and her family was all from the South and they cooked every single night and they cooked like it was Thanksgiving dinner every single night, except it wasn't Thanksgiving dinner. It was like how normal, you know, families that know how to cook grow up cooking. And so I'd come home from work and there'd be like biscuits and a chicken and like 17 sides and grandma and grandpa. And it was just everything centered around the dinner table and nobody was too busy to make dinner. So when I was like, we young adult on my own, I was like, you know what? I want to figure out how to do that. Cause that macaroni and cheese stuff's pretty darn good. <laughs> And so my first blog was actually just a challenge to myself to cook two times a week. I had no idea that it was going to launch into multiple websites and 10 years later, a career. Um, so really, it was a lot of showing up. I still burn things. I share those on Instagram stories. You guys generally get a kick out of it every time I burn something. Um, <laughs> a lot of showing up. And so I just started really just diving in because I am a hands-on learner. And so I don't know about you, but like, if I need to figure out how to, you know, proof a dough, I need to fail at 75 doughs. If I'm going to grill a perfect cheeseburger, I'm going to probably torture a couple of cheeseburgers too. Like I needed to really learn how to do it by myself. And so no culinary background, just a lot of grit. <laughs> awesome. That's, uh, that's refreshing to hear. Um, just because like we're, we're in a realm right now, especially where our blog is, is we're focused on wild game. And there is a bit of a, I don't know, there's a little bit of pressure because you only are gifted two backstraps off your, off your deer, or you're only gifted uh, two tenderloins off your, your new buck. And there's a lot of weight when it comes to Oh my goodness! I I gotta cook this, and if I fail, like I've let the animal down, I let my family down, and to hear like you know you're gonna screw up a few times, you know, go to the store, get yourself a piece of similar like meat, and try it out, and if you burn that, hey, just feed the dog for the for the night. But at the same time, that yeah, you you said 
hit the nail right on the head that it's going to take some grit. It's going to take some trial and error. So no, that's super refreshing to hear. Well, exactly. And like, I don't know about you, but even my worst barbecue days, it's still pretty good eating. Like I break in every one of my new girls with a chicken. It's kind of just this thing I started to do. And at the end of the day, as long as it's cooked through, even my worst chicken has been pretty darn good. I mean, or maybe I just don't want to share with the dog. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, as a as a griller and a barbecuer, you know, there, there's that whole sides of sauce. And I know people, there's some that are saying, nope, no sauce. And there's a whole world of folks that are like, yeah, if it's a little bit chewy or a little bit uh, crunchy, slather it on and all your worries go away. Right. I mean, at the worst, right, you're going to chop up that chicken. It's going to become like chicken salad tomorrow or toss it into something else. But like, I've never had bad barbecue chicken. Yeah, it's hard to come up with uh, something something bad, especially a chicken. You know, they're, they're right. good. It might not be the most amazing barbecue chicken, but I've never had bad barbecue chicken. <laughs> um, so being being a woman in the grilling and barbecue community, I know this is probably an obvious question and one you've answered a uh, hundred times. Um, you know, it has started out to be like a man's club. And, you know, you see... Uh, you know, all these competitions and you got, you know, groups of guys around their, their big smokers and stuff. But I think there's beginning to be a shift. And I think that women are jumping up to the grill and they're jumping up to the barbecue pit and starting to make a shift to make it more 50, 50. Are, are you seeing that throughout uh, your travels? So when I launched girl carnivore in 2013, it was because I had the, you know, blogs were becoming a thing and Pinterest was becoming a thing and everybody was kind of becoming like curated. And I was starting to see these perfect parties with these amazing cupcakes all of the time. And being at, from outside of Philly, I'm kind of just like a natural born smart Alec. I totally just censored myself. <laughs> um, mainly because before we started chatting, guys, he said he had kids. So like, I try not to cuss if I know there might be kids. Oh, they're not um, around here. You can say it. You can but say still. it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so we, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I was starting to see all this stuff and don't get me wrong. Like the stuff that was coming out is amazing. And some of those perfectly curated people are some of my best blogging friends, but I am not like a curated Pinterest perfect kind of girl. And, um, and I don't do arts and crafts to save my life. And, uh, and so like styling cupcakes was never going to be my jam. So I looked around and I was kind of like feeling disheveled and I was saying no to some things that I probably should have said yes to, but, uh, I was like, what makes me different? And I, you know, I looked around and there was sausage casings hanging from my windowsill and I had just been gifted by an ex-boyfriend, um, a meat grinder for Valentine's day. And I was like, huh, I wonder if there's any girls on the internet drinking tequila and making cheeseburgers. And so I launched this site <laughs> just to be a smart Alec to kind of like do something that I hadn't seen yet. And lo and behold, it opened the door and it opened my eyes to see how many badass women are out there at the grill. Cause there are so many of them. And I think they've always kind of been there. I just think that we and society made fire a man's thing. And, you know, looking back, like when you think of cavemen and you think of all of it, it's, you know, when, when we're looking at the fire, it's everybody's got a Bud Light and, and standing around and it's a bunch of dudes. And I don't care if that's a paleographic, like paleographic, like back in some ancient Egyptian tomb, you're going to see dudes and like some beer and some fire. 
and the women are taking care of the babies. And I really think that women have been tending fire just as long as men have. But now we have all these amazing opportunities to show it off. And I love the barbecue community. It's one of the coolest communities um, out there. I think it's just like any other food, you know, sport out there where people are always going to lift each other up and really help each other along. And when you're a female in the barbecue community, you get to see how many amazing other women there are to look up to. I mean, one of my best friends in this whole world and has been for years is Christy from Girls Can Grill. And I have loved her site and I've loved Christy since the day I met her. And we probably talk once a week. She's amazing. And not just Christy, but I've met some really, really cool people along the way. Um, and I think there's a lot of wonderful female ambassadors. I think Susie is a female ambassador for grills everywhere. And I think everybody should be following her if they're not. Um, and then there's Robin and so many other people that, you know, I hadn't met until recently and you bump into them and they're just as genuine and just as real as they are online. And you just want to root them on. I finally got to meet Robin this year at World Food Championship when she was totally going up for a, you know, on the spot grilling challenge with like a Weber she built in her hotel room that night or that morning, I think it was amazing. So I think that there are a lot of women. And also, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. But um, Yari Robles just started a like female podcast, which sounds really, really cool to me. So after this, I'll probably have to find those notes for you and send it to you so you guys can check it out. But it's like kind of exploring the women that are supporting the men and also the women in this industry. Yeah, um, I, almost like a direct parallel, just what you were saying. Um, the hunting world is making a big shift. Like it, it, Several years ago, it was like women were 10% of the hunting community. And I think now with the, like just an outlet of either blogs or um, you know, Instagram and, and social media, like there's just been, you know, these kick-ass women that have been able to step up and be ambassadors and then from that there's girls everywhere joining into uh the hunting fraternity and you could even say that for the grilling and barbecue fraternity that yeah it's starting to mix and i think that um you know just females in general bring a new dynamic and something really special to to that world so that's awesome to see that uh there's more and more happening over there on the grilling side um that women are getting involved well, like as a little aside, before my career in meat, I managed a comic book store for 11 years. And, you know, this is back before the Big Bang Theory was a nationwide success. And people would do the same thing. They're like, there's no chicks in comic books. And if they had an opinion of chicks or men in comics, it was a very narrow opinion. And I can tell you that just like the Big Bang Theory has kind of opened the doors on on that industry and making it cool for everyone to acknowledge that Superman's pretty awesome no matter who you are, um, whether you're male, female, nerdy, or not. Uh, it's kind of cool. And so I think we live in this really neat culture now with the internet where, you know, now that people are over caring about who's peeing in what bathroom, we don't really care who's at the grill or who's hunting as much as like, do they bring skill? Are they good at it? That sort of thing. Awesome. So yeah, it's not necessarily who, but what are they doing? That's, that's a new thing. Yeah. And I like that we live in a time now where it doesn't, you know, where we're able to kind of gap the stereotypes a little bit and get back to 
whether or not you really can bring something to the table. And so I think that's really amazing. And I follow, I mean, I follow some of those really cool hunter chicks too. And I'm all, I'm always impressed. Yeah. Hunter chicks, the way you'd say that, I don't want to be like rude to anybody. Y'all can correct me if I need to. I'm really bad at terminology. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't want to step on any ground either. I know there was a whole stink. Um, and I shouldn't say it's not a stink, but there was the term huntress and there were like ladies that were like arm pumping that saying like yeah let's go for that and then there were a whole other group that was like no no don't call me a huntress just call me a hunter so i know there's both sides of it but hey how you put well, it was was perfect no matter how you dig it huntress is a pretty cool comic book character so i'll take it there you go i haven't read any huntress so yeah i'll have to look that one up <laughs> so switching gears now um going from who to what here we are on pretty much the front side of winter. Like, we just passed the longest, darkest, coldest day of the year, being the winter solstice. We're now into January, but, like, you're off in the northeast, and I'm in Michigan. We're not going to see the sun, I think, until April. Is that is that pretty much how it goes over there in uh, New England? Well, one, I'm going to point out that you just said we passed the coldest day, and you and I both know the coldest day has yet to come. <laughs> it's usually right about the time that we're like, no, spring is going to happen soon. I just saw something bloom, and then like we get hit with a blizzard. Um, <laughs> so let's just not give ourselves any hope, just because there's like a minute more of sunshine every day. <laughs> it's not going to be done being cold. But um, So I grew up Outside of Philly, I've lived all over, and I spent last year on the coast of Maine. Um, and after wintering on the coast of Maine, I totally have to be truthful. I ran to California, and I'm sitting in California right now. Oh, my goodness. She so went all the way across. Like, yeah, I was like, and not just like, I went to like Southern California. I'm sitting here, and it's like this 70-degree day, and there's flowers. And I, I was walking the dog earlier, and I was like, there's flowers in January, and it's sunny. Um, so... Yeah, I've I've put up with some serious winters and grilling in some serious winters, and I do not um, have anything against it. But I have to say, full disclosure, guys, I'm totally chilling in, in like, California right now. It's absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> well, hey, appreciate the honesty. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, we're, like... we're, the folks stuck here in Michigan, we're, uh, <laughs> right? we're going to want to get out of our little dwellings. We're going to want yeah. to get some char back in our life, get some smoke back in our life, because honestly, like it does, food gets bland, you know, when you're heating it up. Now I can eat, I can eat chili pretty much three days out of the week, but eventually there's going to be a point where it's like, Ooh, I need something that's got some char. I need something off the flame. What yeah. are some, what are some tips that I'm going to want to do, or my listeners are going to want to do that are in the northern tier that are stuck in winter, winter wonderland, what do we need to do to set ourselves up to, to grill right? Okay, well, if you're in Maine, it's called um, Alan's Coffee Brandy. And it'll start <laughs> from the inside out. And then they make these lovely fleece-lined Carhartts. And if you don't own them yet, you're never going to catch a guy in them. But... <laughs> They are the most magical thing in the world. So those are my two step ones. Fleece line car hearts. Don't even care about who you're trying to impress. And Alan's coffee brandy. Um, <laughs> but I actually, so I spent, like I said, last year in Maine, and it was a pretty hard winter in that 
I don't remember never, like, I, there was no sunshine. There was never any sunshine. And I'm all for, like, some snow. I'm all for some winter sports. I love cross-country skiing. Uh, I don't even mind being cold. But, man, when you've got, like, that sleet and that freezing rain, it can get really, really hard. And so I um, – I'm such a cheater. I like to keep my grill covered so that all I have to do is like pull. And so like I'll cover it with its normal grill, but then I'll cover it like with one of those cheap tarps that you can get. So that all I have to do is like find a corner and then pull. There you go. <laughs> and all the snow comes falling off. Um, and then, you know, I'm totally a lazy shoveler too. I mean, after the, the first two shovels, when you're like, yeah, I'm going to shovel the entire sidewalk and be the courteous neighbor for the entire neighborhood and like nobody else does it, uh, you then realize that you'd rather just shovel a path to your grills and you do that instead. Um, <laughs> and so I, uh, I actually have... Um, I'm, I'm all for like getting the grill out. And then I was running my pit barrel last year. Uh, I ran it pretty consistently all winter long and I was really impressed with how much it held. And so I did a lot of wood burning, um, barbecue last year in the pit barrel, just learning how to set that thing up for where I was in the world, making sure it was getting the right airflow. But once I got it going all winter long, it was kind of a little bit lovely to look out my kitchen window and see the pit barrel going and like knowing that even though it was freezing rain and it was gray and I was in these baggy, unattractive car hearts, I could just walk out there and like throw something on it and that it was still going to be delicious. And so it was like a little bright beacon of hope in an otherwise dark and dismal, <laughs> miserable winter. Um, I actually had like one of my funniest girl carnivore moments was uh, I was totally like knee deep in snow and in those car hearts and about 17 other layers. And I was like shoveling and I was like on like the fifth shovel. And I was super angry at this point because all I had done is shovel and the mailman pulls up cause it's made and, and like, you know, they don't stop delivering mail cause there's 20 inches of snow on the ground. Everybody knows how to drive in that. And he like, he pulls over and he looks at me and he goes, I know you. I'm like, yeah, you deliver my mail <laughs> like every day, same person. And he goes, you're the meat girl. And I was like, oh my God, I'm such a jerk. <laughs> and so that was kind of my funniest moment in Maine when I was out there in the snow shoveling when my mailman was like, you're the meat girl. Um, even though I was totally not in the mood to be the meat girl at that point, And I hated snow. But just got I, totally called out in like, yeah, I, just the way I you wanted to be. <laughs> I totally got called out. So I baked him a cake and I put it in my mailbox the next day because I felt really guilty. Um, but I think that as far as like grilling in winter is, you know, the biggest thing is like paying attention to your grill, you know, fire safety, everybody talks about fire safety in summer because of, you know, fire hazard and things like that. People kind of forget that in the winter, you can still burn stuff down if you're not paying attention, especially if you're doing, you know, live fire grilling and whatnot. So no matter where you are, you really want to be safe. Like I am notorious for building fire pits because I love grilling over open fire. And, um, and even if it was stupid cold and there was snow and ice everywhere, I'd still have like my gallon bucket of water with me so that, you know, heaven forbid something go wrong, I could still put the fire out. Um, so my number one thing is always like safety first, Smokey the Bear, like respect all year long. Um, you and mean then, I shouldn't be grilling in my garage? I should probably pull it out. <laughs> exactly. Like none of them, no, no grilling in the garage, no grilling, like, you know, um, as hard as it gets, like, none with the overhang the porches like with the overhanging thing you know pay attention to the instructions and don't forget that no matter how cold it is like there's still rules for a reason it's all safety first and i know that that's boring but 
I've seen some bad mistakes made <laughs> and I don't want anybody to burn anything down. Um, but also I think it's just important to remember that like grilling isn't science, you know, I mean, it is meat science is a thing and whatnot, but we have Wi-Fi thermometers. Now we've got all these amazing tools that enable us to be able to grill 365 days a year. So if you don't want to throw on your car hearts and you don't want to stand out there and you don't want to freeze your butt off, you can like run out there really, really fast, get the grill going start the chimney, wash the chimney from the window, obviously, like as long as the window is super, super close and you're not that far away and everything's safe and you can run out and you can put your coals in and you can throw your meat on and then you can run back in and you can put your thermometer together and you can do it all from like a window Bluetooth enabled and not actually have to stand there right next to the grill all day long. I think that takes some of the fun out of it. I don't know about you, but like my favorite thing about barbecue is like smelling super grody at the end of the day. Like, yeah, like, I don't have throat. like a cologne or anything, and like yeah, my only real scent is like it's not like a, a smoker's smoke, but it's definitely like a yeah, like a barbecue smoke. It's really distinct. I like that when it's all over my sweatshirts. Yeah, man, it's like, and it's like, it's so bad that you don't even realize how bad it is until you get in the shower, and then you're like, oh, I smelled awful, <laughs> but delicious. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that uh, you know, I think that takes a little bit of the magic away. But at the same time, I'm not willing to forfeit good food because I'm uncomfortable for a couple of minutes. Um, you know, we can grill all the time. I fired up, you know, my griddle grill last year in the middle of the snow. As long as I was willing to kind of just like sleep off an area, lay some stones down to put a grill on and cook, I uh, I'm a sucker for being outside no matter what. I just happen to also like sunshine. <laughs> yeah, I find that I've got two grills right now. Um, I've got a, a charcoal grill that's uh, got an aluminum base to it, which has worked really well when it's cold out. And uh-huh. I've also tried my, I got a propane grill um, that works really well when I've got like 15 people to feed. It's got four burners on it. But I don't Dude, find I- that that gets enough heat. I feel it wicks away too fast. That's interesting. I haven't played with a solid propane grill in a few years. Um, I mean, I've like I've entertained and I've done some parties and pop ups for people and I've grilled on some. I used to have like 32 grills and then I like got rid of most of them. Um, And I haven't cooked on a as a personal tool. I haven't cooked on a gas grill in a couple of years. So I don't. And when I did have one, it wasn't in the the north north. So I can't say how bad it would have held heat. Um, But I do find like I am fairly impressed with my pit barrel cooker for how it holds heat. Um, it's an amazing, amazing tool. I just, I, there's days when I've run it 16 hours and it's been sleet and freezing rain and there's 12 inches of snow on the ground and I come out and like, it's still kicking, you know, obviously you've got to make sure that you're maintaining fuel and things like that. But other than that, like there's days when I'm <laughs> really impressed with that thing. And I just need to say that like, Pit Barrel Smokers doesn't pay me to say that. I just happen to really like their, <laughs> I really like, like their, their design. Product. Gotcha. Yeah, now, and it, it's, not to it's boil them down, but is that essentially like it's a barrel with the bottom ring missing, and then that's where you put your fire, and then you've got basically the top ring or the cover that you can uh, pull on and off to put your meat in. Is that the design that we're talking about? Yeah, no, it's a classic barrel. So it's a it's a barrel that um, so what they do is they you know they've got the hole on the side for air intake and they've got like a little um, flap where you can change your your how wide the opening is and isn't and then they've got a drop in um, basket for your charcoal and then 
the design is so that you can either lie a grate in up top or you can hang your meat. And I um, really like hanging the meat from the hook. So they have these two rods that run through the top of the grill just to help with the airflow and things like that. And the grill comes with hooks. And so oftentimes I hang everything. I hang um, poultry and ribs and whatnot. I actually just posted a picture of it um, yesterday on my Instagram and I realized that this is a podcast. So that means y'all have to do some time traveling to go see it, but you can hang your, um, your meats and they have a hook designed to hang poultry so that it runs through the middle of the bird and keeps it on. My only um, mistake with hanging meat ever was I was actually hanging meat in a different grill and I was testing it and I'd only run it a few times and I wasn't as familiar with it as I was my pit barrel. And I was at a friend's house and I was cooking these amazing, beautiful dino ribs um, sent to me by Porter Road. And they were beautiful and wonderful. And man, this girl was really holding heat and I was really impressed. And I'm sure some of you know where this is going. Um, and so, you know, if I want to check, like you don't want to open your grill because you don't want to let out that beautiful flavor. And you're like, nah, just be patient, just be patient. And finally I was like, you know, I, this is getting a little suspicious. I think I need to figure out what's going on here. And I opened it up. And as soon as I opened it up, um, about four seconds later, after I realized that the ribs had indeed fallen off the hooks because the hooks were not big enough to support oh, the no. weight of the, yeah, <laughs> it was a very expensive mistake to make. Um, the hooks were not big enough to support the weight. And about five seconds after it got air, man, it was, <laughs> it was a really big fire. <laughs> All that I grease mean, was just waiting so there. So much beef fat. It took <laughs> hours to like safely maneuver this fire. And of course it was one of those moments where I just sat back and was like, well, that's a learning experience. Um, so as far as like all of us having those moments, man, that was like three months ago for me. So we're always doing it. Um, it wasn't like I could admit that this was not that long ago or that it was in my like early days. No, no, it was definitely in 2019. Um, but, uh, but I totally forget where we were going with that. <laughs> Other than I think it's funny that I burnt the crap out of those ribs. <laughs> we were saying how good that design was. And the hooks were great oh, yeah. when you hook them right. <laughs> well, and like I said, it was a different grill that I was using for that one. And I was at a friend's house with another one of my grills that I shipped there. Um, and so I just didn't use the right tool for the job. And I should have, you know, I should have kind of double checked my own work and been more prepared. Um, but I was rushing and, you know, there was a party like 10 hours later and that sort of thing. And I was trying to do everything at once. And uh, yeah, another one bites the dust on that one. Uh, it was a good day. Oh man, <laughs> that's that's rough. I uh, I got one that, that helps out. This one was uh, a couple of years ago. Um, but I found uh, a bag, I forget the name, it's like Umai Dry. But anyway, what you can do is you can take a whole cut of whatever meat and vac it inside this. Uh, bag and it allows moisture to wick out but doesn't let bacteria back in so you can basically dry age this large cut in your refrigerator and I got excited about that so I was getting ready for my wife's birthday and I thought oh I'm gonna do one I'm gonna do a bone-in ribeye and then I'll cut steaks from it when uh, we're said and done so I put I put that in my fridge for 45 days and you know you roll it around and I'm just making sure that I don't have a ton of uh any any mold growing or anything looks off-putting so I'd roll it and move it around every couple days and finally it got to 
to her birthday party and pulled it out and I started taking the bark off the ins- the bark off and cutting these steaks out and they were just like I mean awesome purple color like I couldn't imagine anything better the smell was just going to be epic well I threw them on that same propane grill that I happen to have right now and I totally did not realize just kind of like you know now I have this basically new product from what I thought I had originally I didn't realize how fast like a dry aged steak will cook and how it will basically incinerate (laughs) in a couple of minutes. So I closed the top. I went back in for a refill. I came back out and I see flames licking out the sides of the top like, oh, no, I run over. And sure enough, 45 days of preparation gone into embers like it was just it was so terrible but that is also an expensive mistake a very expensive mistake i'm not even thinking about the price i'm thinking about just my time yeah yeah like an emotional investment like that's like a baby right like a delicious baby that got burnt yeah (laughs) that's awful i'm so sorry to hear that but i think it's important for us to totally admit that we make mistakes (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we have to. And it's, I would not. Yeah. I would not have wanted to make that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I I did find that like uh a sweet baby raise does work really well on uh on chard and A1 does does very well as much as I didn't want to throw it on there, but it was like after I got through that crunch, like at least there was like the one side we could salvage. But yeah, that was a it was a rough, yeah, expensive, but like just like you said, like you just felt like oh my gosh, I should have done this the right way. And I totally didn't. And like what stinks though, is like you had come, you know, and that's, that's the moment you're going to totally mess it up too. It's like when you've got company, yes. right? Like you're like this master chef all of the time. It's like your wife's precious day. You want to make everything right. You've spent 45 days prepping it. And there goes that. Um, <laughs> that's totally awful. I'm so sorry. Well, like you said, live but, and learn from that. And yeah, now I have it on the podcast. So now my listeners can be like, oh, okay. So he is, he is human. Yeah, but also it's the thought that counts, everyone. 45-day age, like dry age, your spouse, the loved one, whomever, yourself, a steak. And don't burn it. Lesson learned. (laughs) Just wanted to take a time out and say thank you to the listeners for tuning in. It really does mean a lot. I would also appreciate that if you haven't already left a rating or review, uh, to go ahead and do that. It all helps folks find us and get on board using and enjoying their wild game more. Feel free to chat with us and ask questions either on Facebook, The Huntivore, or Instagram, at Huntivore. Got a recipe you think is dynamite and want to share? Or have some show topic ideas? Email us at Huntivore at gmail.com. For even more hunting and fishing podcasts by real, relatable sportsmen, head over to Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, which happens to be a 2% for conservation company, who give 1% of their earnings and 1% of their time helping out the wildlife and wild places we all love. Now, back to the show. Um, when you're using your pit barrel, do you have like a, and you were mentioning that you, you like to go from a wood fire as opposed to, uh, going through, through coals. Do you have a, a specific wood that you go for? Or is it just like, eh, it's gotta be hardwood. So I really love camping. Um, so first and foremost, I'm like 
a full on camper. I do a lot of grilling and whatnot. And so I'm, I'm off to just grill over whatever I can, you know, collect a lot of times, but as far as lid for like grilling and cooking going, um, I do a lot of, I, I work for full disclosure. I work for Western wood products. They do, um, wood, um, wood chips and chunks and logs. And it's one of my clients that I absolutely love because their products really, really good. They do a kiln dried, um, wood. So it burns super clean and the smoke is beautiful. And so I actually really love working with them. Now, when I cook in my pit barrel or something like, or one of my eggs or something like that, I do use charcoal first. I'll get a fire going with some charcoal and get a nice bed of embers going. And then I'll throw logs on just to get that smoky flavor, just because it's easy and it's controlled and it's an easy, you know, it's a, it's a great way to build that base for that heat. Um, and when I'm just doing live fire, I'll generally, sometimes it goes back and forth. Like if I'm at a place where I can build like a nice little setup, or if I'm at a campground, I've got a ring, I'm probably going to throw some coals down just to get a good start. But sometimes I'll go ahead and I'll build that like, you know, old school log house start of a fire and I'll get it going that way or the old TP type of fire. And I'll build them out of, um, generally whatever's in my trunk or whatever I find nearby. <laughs> um, now that sounds really weird, but if you guys are anything like me, there's probably charcoal or barbecue, um, you know, wood chunks in my, I actually posted also posted this on IG, <laughs> shameless self plug, but on a different account the other day, I was like, I posted a picture of me and it's in the back of my Subaru at the time. And it's me and there's a grill and an air mattress and some charcoal and some wood chunks and my bicycle helmet and my bicycle shoes. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, that's really, really true. Um, and so, but as far as wood goes, I, I really like how Western wood products, um, I'm, I'm really digging their uh, chunks now too. Their chunks come in about like five to six inch long chunks in these big giant bags that you can get. And man, they put out some great flavor. And um, they do, I got to play with the post oak this year and it's kind of my new obsession. Good deal. Now they probably ranged um, in pretty much any hardwood that you can even imagine, you know, your pecan, your hickory or yeah, oak, well, they've got I, all sorts probably. I um, I got to do world food championships with them this year and they actually had a lot more than I even knew they had, which, you know, cause you get used to what you find at your local Home Depot and Lowe's and places like that. And when you go in and you kind of stock up with what you're used to, um, and so they have like the full kit and caboodle set up for world food championships, man. They've got alder chips. Do you know how nerdy I got on alder chips? <laughs> like I was like, Oh, we're going to grill some fish. Um, and they've got, um, peach chips. And they, I mean, like I, I flat out got nerdy over wood, which sounds really dirty now that I actually paused to think about <laughs> it. But I meant that in a sincere barbecue excitement. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I really like the pecan wood. I think pecan wood's amazing. Uh, and I use it for a lot. I love pecan on my pork and things like that. And then, like I said, that post oat, man, it burns so clean. And I've been using it a lot lately on just about everything. Good deal. Uh, taking another hard shift here. Um, we are a, a wild game podcast. Um, and so kind of what you're talking about is like the, when we're, when we're smoking something off of either, um, a pronghorn or uh, a whitetail, a mule deer, I mean, we, we can range in, in whatever we're chasing down. Um, that wood's going to depend on, you know, what you're, what you're throwing essentially on the grill could even be in fish. Um, what's your experience 
in the woods. You know, you mentioned like uh, that you liked camping and sounds like cycling as well. Have you, uh, have you been hunting and fishing at all? Yeah. So I need to know, like for your audience, how many of these crazy little stories you want or how many is like too many, like enough. Just get to the answers. I tell you, uh, hunters love story time. You know, that's why we have cave paintings that are all of hunting scenes is because stories love to be shared. Yeah, there's another thing you'll always find in those cave paintings. <laughs> so I, um, I, I joke that Girl Carnivore was born when I was like, truly like six years old. Um, I was an only daughter to my father. And, you know, I was treated in a way like many only daughters to a family would be treated. You know, a lot of pink was purchased for me. A lot of Barbies were purchased for me, things like that. But I only had uncles and I only had all male cousins. And I was, you know, being raised by a pretty, you know, gritty type of guy. And so I had all the pink in the world and everything else. But, but I, I'm pretty sure I've been a tomboy since the day is long. And I'll never forget the day. I mean, I was, like I said, I was five or six. My dad came home in the back of the truck, him and my uncle had been hunting. And he comes up and he looks at me and there's a button buck in the back and it's been field dressed and things like that. And he picks it up and he goes, I shot Bambi. And then he proceeds to make it sing and dance across the yard for quite some time. <laughs> um, and at six, five or six years old, I was not mortified. <laughs> like I was like, Oh, okay. Um, and so that was my first experience with hunting. <laughs> and that was the, you know, the, my joke is like, that's when I knew that something was direly wrong with me and that I was born to be, um, okay with getting my hands and meat, but I've only been hunting a few times since then. And so it's something that I've wanted to do. I went, you know, squirrel hunting with my grandfather and things like that, but I've never really been able to go hunting or had an opportunity to go hunting. I did get my first shooting lessons this year at Orvis, um, which was so much fun up in um, Hudson Valley, New York. I got to take shooting lessons for clays and I am hooked. So now I like want to go back and learn everything there is to learn and become much better at it. And the, the instructor was incredibly good and he was incredibly patient, but about halfway through the lesson, he looked at me and he was like, you're mad because you're not shooting every one of them. And I'm like, you're right. And he's like, dude, it's your first day. And I'm like, and, <laughs> um, and so he could tell I was a little bit of a perfectionist. So I, I really want to get into hunting, um, mainly because I think there's something beautiful and patient about it. And two, I think as somebody who is a carnivore and is all about actually eating meat, but wants to do so in a respectful way to all animals, it's important for me to not just understand how we work on American farms and ranches and how we harvest our food from, you know, nose to tail, but how we can do it on a primal level too. We can still hunt to feed our families. And I think it's really important to understand all of the processes that are involved in that so that we better respect our food ways and that we better respect what's on our table so that we can, you know, truly honor the gifts that we are given. Um, I've had some amazing friends hand me some beautiful, you know, animals that they have harvested themselves. And I've always thought that is such a gift and I've got to fish in, you know, Copper River, Alaska. And that changes your perspective on, you know, an amazing bounty of seafood and things like that as well. And so I think for me, like one, I just want to learn how to do it because I haven't been given the opportunity yet. And two, it's, it's, 
also about respecting all of it to me. Does that make sense? <laughs> oh, that makes the world of sense. My heart is singing right now, Keita. That was an, an amazing explanation. I love to hear that. I also love to hear that you got into wing shooting. That's awesome. Because, yeah, that is, uh, it can be infuriating, but at the same time, just like in the way you're having it, it's addicting. You can't get away from it. Dude, I was like, I, it took like 10 seconds. I was like, yo, I want to do, like, can we just do this all day? And, you know, obviously they've got their appointments and, and things like that. But if you ever get an opportunity to get up to um, Orvis and take one of their, you know, I think they do like half day or full day even. I could be mistaken on the full day. Um, but they do clay shooting and they, they bring the dog out for you and they've got a trainer there too. So if you're not running your own dogs and doing all of that. And they do three types of, um, you know, they do waterfowl and things like that. They also do fly fishing lessons, which I think is really freaking cool. Um, and so I had a lot of fun there and hint, hint, wink, wink, whenever I can get back. Like I am, they also, okay, this is me totally taking it full circle back to my first statement about BBC Top Gear. They also do like Land Rover test driving there. Um, what? I tell you, to go land road, yeah, to get out to right next to the stream, take your four-wheeler right out to the bank, and then be able to get out and then just fly fish for the afternoon, that so is, like I, that's the setup right there. Like straight, I could Jeremy Clarkson my day. <laughs> it would be the best thing ever. Probably not safe at all, actually, in hindsight, now that I say that out loud. But let's just pretend that there's some safety mechanisms involved and then jeremy clarkson the day but uh yeah i had so man it's it's something so if anybody wants to give me some hunting lessons i travel for a living um and i'm 110 percent game so let's go sounds good well oh, next right. time you stop in michigan give us a ring we will get you in the woods i know there's probably about 100 people that are already raising their hand oh we'll take someone it'll be good yeah just, like just accept that i'm probably going to eat my foot at least twice and i will ask at least a dozen stupid questions <laughs> well good hey a willing student is the best student that's where we're exactly. at so good i'm totally uh geeked out that uh you've uh you've had your chance to be in the woods or in the stream at all and are excited to do that um because yeah now i'm going to come at you with what is your experience with lamb because from i've got little very little experience with lamb uh, a lot of experience with venison and from what i've been told the two are very similar because they both have this quote unquote gamey flavor to them. Now I don't I don't really stick with the gamey, like it tastes like venison. And I'm sure it tastes just like lamb of what it eats. It's gonna be something a little bit more pungent and grassy. Um, what's your experience with lamb? So I think that the gamey thing is just like a, a it's like it's a broad word to describe something that we we don't really know what we're tasting, right? So we, we say it's gamey because we just know it's it's not what we're used to. And it's it's maybe a little bit, um, uh, well, it's a lot different. So I can actually smell lamb. Like if, if you're opening packages of red meat, I can tell you which one's lamb and which one's, it's, it's, I can smell the difference, but it comes back to like what the animal's eating, like you said. And so our lamb, especially American lamb is, you know, it's eating a lot of grass and it's eating, um, it's, it's got to have a lot more pasture time and it's going to be there. And I think that lamb is one of the most underutilized proteins, especially in America. We've got this, an amazing, um, you know, we've got amazing beef ranchers and an amazing 
farmers all around doing all sorts of things and amazing hunters providing. But I think lamb is like one of those things that, you know, post-World War II, nobody ate lamb because there was so much mutton. And so like my grandfather hated lamb because it was disgusting because it was, you know, shipped in cans and it was mutton. And back then everything was boiled and had no flavor. And so there was an entire generation that didn't eat Brussels sprouts either, but we've all gotten over that. <laughs> gotten right? over that. We like, now right? roast them. You don't boil them. <laughs> exactly. We don't boil this crap. And, and, you know, we now know that pork is delicious at 145 degrees. So back to lamb. Um, so I think that lamb does have a very unique and distinct flavor. And I think it doesn't personally, to me, it doesn't taste like venison. Um, I think venison tastes like venison and beef tastes like beef and lamb tastes like lamb. Now I think maybe what they're comparing is perhaps that, you know, venison tends to run a little bit lean and you're lamb tends to run a little bit lean but now i think with you know farming and things like that we're getting lamb that isn't as lean as it used to be or maybe we're you know especially in the grinds that you can get now we're adding a little bit of fat back in but uh but i think <laughs> lamb in particular is one of those things that in america we're, we're definitely not using enough um i really crush on like bringing you know i traveled all over the world and um some of my favorite experiences with lamb were in Morocco. And so I bring those flavors back whenever I cook lamb, oftentimes, you know, I tend to, to hit Middle Eastern flavors and things like that for lamb. Um, or I go slow and low barbacoa sort of thing because um, you get a big bag of lamb and it's just one of those things that like, if you treat it with love and you let it go all day, it's going to just melt um, once you, you know, start to shave it off. And I don't think there's anything wrong with letting something go low and slow all day and, uh, and, and maximizing its flavors. So I really like pulling in global flavors when I'm playing with lamb, just to kind of help people understand that it's not one thing. You know, I've had a lot of people sit down at my table. Two of my favorite sentences are, I don't eat salmon and I don't eat lamb. And generally speaking, I'll say, if you eat meat, and you know, you're open to trying things, you probably will eat both things. You just haven't had the right salmon or the right lamb yet. And so, um, I really like to bring, you know, char grilled lamb chops to a table and, and feed a bunch of people with them in a way that they think they wouldn't otherwise try. And actually I have to admit, like, especially with lamb and if you're going to do a, like a French rack of lamb and you're going to single them out and you're going to make little lamb chops, they tend to be a little bit fattier. Right. And, uh, and knowing your audience is key when you're serving good food. Um, and so even though I like my food to be at temp, which is lamb, you know, I, I tend to like my temp at a, a rare to medium rare, really pink in the center. Um, I know that sometimes my audience is not going to like lamb that's pink in the center. You know, they hear lamb, they think of baby sheeps, and then it's pink. And oh my God, it gets fat <laughs> quickly. And like, no people, it's fine, I swear. But um, so I actually just cooked lamb for a bunch of people and, uh, and I did lamb chops over a propane grill with a really sweet little, you know, I just zested some fresh um, orange over it and that sort of thing. But I actually took that lamb a little bit past where I would normally cook it because it was a group of, um, of women that were going to be eating with their hands. And I, I didn't want them to have that fatty experience. And I wanted them to be able to bite into the meat without getting like too soft on one side and too chewy and whatnot. So I actually took the lamb a little bit past where I would personally like it. And let me tell you, they like swore it was the best lamb they've ever had in their whole life. And I was like, it's overcooked. Um, but I, I think as far as like lamb goes, people just need to be willing to give it a chance, right? Like it's so good. You just got to be able to like try different things. But I also think it's a big investment to – 
bust out a leg of lamb and find out that like you really just don't like the flavor for that recipe or you don't like how it's cooked or things like that. Um, so I'd say go with whatever's on sale or my pro tip is like, since we don't eat enough lamb in America, there's always something on like the sale rack that they need to sell. So if you just want to play with lamb, go cheap. <laughs> and if you burn it, you can feed it to the dog. Hey, there See, you go. I've driven all of these trains back to the circle. <laughs> like, boom. <laughs> I love it. Cause yeah, I think that, I mean, just, it's an underutilized cut, underutilized yeah. animal um, that's there. But, but at the same I would, time, I look at it like, as far as like venison goes, man, I've got this one haunch that I don't want to screw up, but I've got some ideas. A good safe backup may be, may be getting a, a haunch of lamb from the supermarket. That might be something that I can play. I can try out my venison recipes on that without having to maybe risk using my my venison now at some point you got to pull the trigger and you got to throw the deer on the on the grill but it's a good substitute i would really love to hear your audience's feedback on this because in my opinion i i mean i think that lamb and, and venison taste very different and so like i don't now, as far as cooking technique goes, like, yeah, you, I mean, there you go. As, as far as like just figuring out like, how am I going to cook this whole thing? Like, what am I going to do? Things like that. But as far as lamb and venison goes, I, I really do think they have two different flavors. And I think that, um, I would also imagine that your audience, you know, being hunters and whatnot are probably willing to like walk through a supermarket and throw some lamb in the shopping cart and, and it, it being not such an underutilized cut. Cause I mean, I, Every hunter I know is generally game to eat just about anything. Yeah, we don't stick our nose up at, at too much. And, uh, yeah, depending on region, there's even some stuff that I'm like, really? People eat that? And, oh, yeah, that's a delicacy. All right, great. I'm going I'm to yeah. give it a shot. One of my coolest moments was, like, this October I was camping with uh, – with the crew called Social Feast, and Matt from Sasquatch Barbecue was there. And um, one of his – like friends just showed up and like threw over some dove and like I've never worked with dove and Matt totally let me just go to town and showed me how to like rip it off of the 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 bone and we were grilling it and it was so much fun and so like that's what I like about hunters is like nothing gets wasted and there's you know it's it's not going to go to waste and if you're not going to consume it you're going to give it to somebody who is and I think that's something that a lot of people have forgotten in modern food culture and we got a lot of like food shaming going on back and forth and what you're buying and is it this and is it that and yada, yada, yada. But the reality is like, it's more important than nothing get wasted. Yeah. Especially that, you know, yeah, you've, we've gone and we've dispatched this animal. We've gone out and killed it. And as much as we want to, you know, be respectful and use as much of it as we can, just like you said, like nothing is more, I want to say like, I mean, it's meat is currency at that point. Like, you know, if I've got some friends that, you know, I really want to give something to them. Now I'm going to give them some some of the sub, summer sausage I made. Or at the same time, like, hey, I know you really like tacos. Use these shanks, make barbacoa, and it's going to be a dynamite taco. So, yeah, being able to spread the love, yeah, I think, is that's right up the uh, the alley of hunters. That's because food people are good people. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, this has been an awesome talk, Kita. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to get a little intense on you and I'm going to turn it over to you. You're going to have to really think through these next two questions because we're going to break into our two dish breakdown. The first one 
is you've been a burger judge. Um, I think it's in Delaware. I, I think I was searching around on your uh, on your food blog, and it said that you. Oh, were not over- just in Delaware. <laughs> I so, take that show on the road. Oh. <laughs> I've been a burger judge in many a places. <laughs> many a places. So if you can judge a burger, I'm sure that you yourself can uh, make a epic burger yourself. So what I want is lay out the perfect stellar burger that you're going to make. Toppings, bun selection, the whole nine yards. Oh, this one you think is hard, but it's actually easy. So I've judged a lot of burgers and I kind of love me some burgers. It's kind of my thing. I also own burgermonth.com. Every May we celebrate. It's a party. If you've got a burger, come on and bring it. Um, but when you've judged a lot of burgers, you see a lot of people put a lot of stuff on burgers. And I mean like stuff, like a lot of it, you know, those burgers when like you pick them up and it takes like two fists and then you realize you can't even shove it in your face because it's so big. That doesn't make sense to me. Like, I want to be able to eat the cheeseburger, period. So a couple of years ago, Jean-Paul made um, an old school, like, smash burger on a griddle with fried onions and I'm pretty sure a mountain of butter and a pickle and, like, super thin American cheese. So, like, two thin patties so you get that good crust on the outside, salt, that's it. And obviously a high fat content. Um, I mean, I'm not above a 60-40 when it comes to a burger blend. I was just going to ask, is that an 80-20, 70-30? No, no. 60-40. I've done a 60-40. I generally run about a 70-30 if I'm doing burgers because nobody wants to admit that they like a 60-40 burger. But if you've never had a 60-40 burger, do it. And then don't tell your doctor. (laughs) (laughs) well i got my grind thawing to make burger uh for this year so hey there's gonna be there's gonna be a special set aside 60 40 i'm gonna call it the key to special yeah it's it's like when you're filling out your tinder profile like you don't want to say that you drink every night so you're like socially sometimes right you never (laughs) tell your doctor that like you you're never like and by the way i also eat 60 40 cheeseburgers but once again everything in moderation um so yeah, if you haven't done a 60-40 cheeseburger, I highly recommend it at least once in your life. And then you can go back to like a 70-30 or even an 80-20 and be happy. But um, so a really good grind with really good flavor, just salt, nothing else. I don't want anything else in my burger. I want beef, salt on the outside. I want it seared and I want it to have a really good crust. And I want that cheese to melt into like every one of those little nooks and crannies like Thomas's English muffins with meat double stacked with a single pickle and fried onions. And you know what? I think it even has to be a potato bun. Really? You're not even going with the pretzel. You're going with the potato bun. No, I want something sloppy, right? Like it's not, it's just literally there to like dissolve as you're getting the burger in your (laughs) mouth. If I have not scared everybody away by now, I don't know what will, but yeah, I mean, I just think that's like a classic, burger right there that's all you really want boom i love it the beauty is in the simplicity and the 60 40 Mm -hmm. that's great this one's gonna be uh a little harder this one's gonna take a little bit more uh more thinking um and i don't know uh your personal life at home um but this is gonna be for your date night is there a is there a mr roberts at all or is it uh just Mm -hmm. kita i've got a dog got a dog 
(laughs) (laughs) So the dog is off in the other room, and he's been put down for the night, and you are on a date night with a a person that you're really looking to impress. Uh, The date is your cooking at home. I want to know what you're going to make for this date. And then as a curveball, what is going to be a grilled dessert that you're also going to serve that's going to make this date go just right? That's really hard because I never eat dessert. Oh, goodness. All right. What am I going to cook? A date? I feel like I need to know this guy, right? Like, I I, I looked around as if somebody was going to give me some support. And the, dog, <laughs> the dog was like... Dog's uh-huh. like, I got nothing. <laughs> like, you got nothing. Um, okay, so <laughs> I have a whole bunch of theories about this, people, and we won't go off on another tangent. <laughs> but I do have a history of taking second dates out for hikes and just to see how gnarly they are and grilling over open fire. Um, <laughs> so... Um, but let's see. It's, this sounds really awful, but I'm actually a fan of like keeping it classic when it comes to dates. And so I probably would have made like a homemade bolognese or something like that. Like a really creamy and rich and meaty pasta sauce that you can put over a luxurious, elegant, you know, freshly rolled pasta and with dollops of fresh ricotta and if you really 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 want to know the story I'll even say burrata um and then I mean just because there's something like I just think absolutely like maybe lady in the tramp I don't know but I just think it's really beautiful a nice perfectly homey and comforting bowl of pasta I can grill a steak 365 days a year like a champ and so for me I guess that's not an impressive cut anymore um and I'll do it. Like, I have no problem doing that. But I think if I was, like, really, like, wooing somebody and trying, I'm going to make them some pasta. Like, because, because you know, like, they're, all right, so it's, like, different types of dates, right? Like, do you want this person to, like, do you want to meet his mother? Or do you not want to talk again? Like, I need to know where we're yeah. going. <laughs> like, if I want to meet his mother, I'm probably going to make him pasta. Okay. <laughs> I, think that's, I, think I, just, I think I just safely skirted all of that. Um, so, yeah, so we're going to make pasta. Because awesome. uh, it's comforting, right? Like, it's comforting. It's probably not what your audience wanted to hear, but it's the truth. Well, good. Hey, that's yeah. what we want. We want the truth here. Yeah, that's going to be, the, like, definitely the first date. Second date, I'm going to find out if you can eat, like, chicken wings and cheeseburgers. Because if you can't, this is not going to work. <laughs> like, if you can't get dirty, we've got a problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, as far as dessert goes. So, oh, and obviously... I really love cocktails as well. And so I'm probably going to start dinner before we even get to pasta with like a nice whiskey or a bourbon something. Dinner will be paired with a red wine. I play music. I don't own a television. And so I play music while I'm cooking. It's kind of my jam. Um, And I'll probably be cooking live. I would not have it ready. I'd totally be doing it all like while the person was there. Because I think that's kind of just, it opens doors and communication. And and there's red wine involved, right? Uh, and then I, I'm not going to lie, I did recently have somebody ask me what a head of garlic was, and that was the end of that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> like, and we're done. And um, it's over. Yeah, and. Okay, so anyway, and then dessert. Um, am I going to grill something for dessert? All right. 
So we've done pasta. We're super full. Oh, by the way, because I'm also not going to not eat in front of somebody. Like, that's ridiculous. No, I definitely chow down. <laughs> um, it, can I just grill some fruit for another cocktail? Does that count? That counts, but you got to tell me what you're making with it. Yes, I do really mean. Um, well, I suppose. All right, once again, it depends on season, depends on the individual, depends on goal. But I do a really mean Serrano grilled watermelon tequila uh, margarita where I infuse my tequila with um, Serranos and I got that. And I'll even do that with a mezcal sometimes. And then I'll um, grill some uh, watermelon. And so that served alongside with a watermelon with just a little bit of a balsamic drizzle and some feta cheese is an amazing like palate cleanser. And it's super light. Um, so I really think that's a wonderful, refreshing dessert. Um, plus it's tequila. Who doesn't love tequila? And, uh, or I do like a ginger bourbon. I would grill some, um, peaches for like a ginger bourbon cocktail, but all those involve simple syrups that I've made ahead of time. And that's not as fun as just grilling something. Do I like, it's like, is he fun? Cause if he's fun, I'm totally just going to grill a donut. <laughs> if he's fun, y'all, yeah, that's all you need to do. <laughs> right. Like you can just like grill some donuts and like, um, put, um, Oh, what's the word? Um, like whipped cream on top. And like, that's just a lot of fun. Like a grilled donut is just delicious. And like a crispy cream donut too. Not even like, I don't want one of these fancy like $12 cake donuts or whatnot. I want like fresh and ready, crispy cream donut sliced in half grilled. That's pretty money right there. See, that's one. I'm going to take that one home along with the uh, grilled peach bourbon. That was a good one. I was going to say, I'd be drinking that all day. Yeah, I throw a little bit of time in there too. Um, I tend to leave more Todd's on like a, a really savory cocktail, and uh, yeah, it's my jam. That's your jam. I yeah, I'm gonna steal that one. And did you did you say grilled watermelon uh, margarita? That was the second. That was the first one. Yeah, wasn't it? yeah, yeah. I've got all those uh, recipes posted. <laughs> oh, good. Well, we'll be sure to search those up. I'm after. I'm definitely after the peach bourbon one. Yeah, it's it's like I said, it's. You know, I don't like cocktails that, like, maybe it's just because I play in, uh, I hate to say it, quote, end quote, man's world, or just those are my tastes. But, man, I don't like cocktails that are, like, sugar bombs, but I want something to balance my flavors. And so I'll do, like, like I said, grilling the uh, the watermelon with um, the Serrano-infused, you know, tequila or mezcal is just, it's pretty good on a hot summer day. <laughs> like, Heck, yeah. Yep. In Michigan, we live in uh, beer country. It's like craft beer world. So, like, the introduction of sours has been a new thing. And um, being able to make, like, a savory sour has been, at least that was last summer. That's where those were at. And it was like, oh, I could could stand to drink a few of those. Michigan does have a lot of breweries. A few times I've been there, man, there's there's, there's a lot of breweries happening in Michigan. We got a lot of time on our hands. It gets dark and cold, and we don't know what to do. So we we either grill or we make beer. Dude, craft brewing in America, it's, it's everywhere, man. It's popping up, but it's good. It gives us all something we love to do. Well, Kita, this has been an awesome talk, and I appreciate all the time that you've uh, you've given to us. Um, I want to give you just a, just a moment. Give us a shameless plug of where can we find more about Kita Roberts? Where can we find more about Girl Carnivore and uh, stay in the discussion? Yeah, I'd actually really love to hear you. You know, as I said, I'm fascinated by the world of hunting and I haven't done enough of it. So I would love some communication from your audience. And um, I'm always game for conversation. Obviously, you can find me at Girl Carnivore on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Um, 
and the website girlcarnivore.com for those cocktails. You will find them on my original site at pastthesushi.com, along with other absolute random ramblings that make no sense. So uh, don't get too far down that rabbit hole. But for the most part, I'm on Girl Carnivore all the time. Uh, the best way to message me is to stalk me relentlessly because I get a lot of messages and I don't reply all the time as fastly as I would like to. <laughs> Well, good deal. Kita, this has been, yeah, like I said, this has been an, an awesome time. Thank you for sharing all of your wisdom and yeah, just keeping us laughing for this past hour. This has been, this has been great. Um, go ahead and just hold on for a second and uh, I'm going to send folks out. Folks, uh, it is the new year. It's 2020, but that doesn't mean that the grills have to go away. So I hope Kita's got you fired up and uh, being able to get those grills back out. And as always, keep your knives sharp.